Thanks, T. Um, good morning. How are you all doing? Yeah. Excited to be here. A um, couple quick things. I just want to say again, I, I really do love this church. I really do love your leaders. Um, I think that um, it's easy when you first meet someone, uh, often anyway, not everyone, but a lot of people, you know, it's kind of like how dating works. You get the, the best side of them, right? And you kind of put your best, best foot forward and you can really dig them. And I feel like one of the things I love about my relationship with, with Tom um, and with Herrick is we really have all seen each other at our worst and had to deal with go through conflict together and are out on the other side of it. So it's not just like, oh, I like you, you make me feel good about myself. We've made each other both feel bad about ourselves before and sinned against each other and had to work stuff out, which is actually really, it says more about your friendship than just we have fun together. We've had a lot of fun together. We've been, I've been to more countries with Tom than my own wife. Uh, I, um, a lot of shared experiences. Um, recently, I had one of the most painful, emotionally painful things that's ever happened to me in the last few weeks. And um, Tom was, was on the first just text thread, very short text thread of people um, that I texted to ask to pray for me. So this really is like a, a real relationship. You guys really do have a um, great leader. They are flawed. They are imperfect, but they are loving leaders. And I just hope you know that, um, that you really are um, a blessed people. Um, so today, uh, have you guys ever heard of something? Let's dive in. Uh, there's this thing called Strengths Finders. We guys heard of this before. You guys work in business kind of settings. Yeah, it's kind of a, a, a somewhere between a personality test and a kind of like a secular spiritual gifts test. I don't know how to describe it, but it, but it looks at strengths you have, um, how they impact your performance at work, how they might impact the way you deal with other people who have different strengths, and how you can lead to like a cohesive kind of healthy team uh, and stuff. And in and, and, and my top five, I have one that's called connectedness. Have you guys, does anyone have connectedness? Boom, boom, oh, come on, multiples. That's rare. That's, that's ama- it's an amazing church. Um, so <laughs> I love me some me, uh, but... Just kidding. Um, but with connectedness, you kind of you kind of geek out on the way that things are connected. That that, that it's a smaller world, and you realize um, you're like, man, this person, this this person knows this person and this thing. And you're always like, you know, six degrees of set. You're always like two degrees of separation in the way that you see the world. And uh, and there's been so many times in my life where I felt that way. Uh, I was actually I went to Israel with Tom and Ebony earlier this year on this like pastors Israel trip thing, and. Um, and we were in what was, uh, and it was funny, on the way out, I flew through London to Tel Aviv. And on the way through London, I had a really long layover, and I hit up this guy who I usually stay at his house when I go to London and minister at a church in London. And a guy that I honestly felt kind of concerned about, uh, not, not that he had done anything wrong, but just I felt kind of burdened for. And I knew he was interested in planning a church in London. And I just felt like, man, it'd be good to talk to him and his wife. And, uh, and I texted him, and I said, hey, man, um, I'm in, it's kind of last minute, but I thought of you. Uh, are you around? And at times, he's been able to hang. And he said, oh, uh, sorry, man, we're out of town. Uh, and that was that. And then um, about six days later, seven days later, um, we are in Israel. We are at what is supposed to be King David's tomb, even though there's no way it's King David's tomb. Um, but there's like a rabbinical inside, and guys are you know, reading the Torah and getting into it, very Jewish, like le- legit kind of Israeli, Israeli scene. And we're walking out of King David's tomb, and I hear as clear as day a British accent say, Andy Rogers! And I look on the street in Jerusalem, the person I called in London, I live in San Diego, the guy that I called, him and his wife are walking by. He didn't say where he was going. He was going to Jordan because his wife works for a nonprofit. And when they were in Jordan, like, we're Christian, I guess we should go to Israel. So they just drove across the border and they were in Jerusalem for the day. And he didn't know where I was going. And we bumped into each other on the streets. And, and that night, um, we did a really godly thing. We got cocktails together in Jerusalem. <laughs> 
And, um, and I got to listen to their story and pray for them. And it was like, what, what are the odds on a continent that neither of us live on that we're in, that he's in? It just, it just blows my mind. And you have these moments of like, dude, it's, just, it's such a small world. I got to pray for them, talk to them about church planning just in Jerusalem, not in London. And, and, and so we are more connected than we realize. I was in Dubai uh, at a conference a couple weeks ago that um, um, yeah, I, I got to minister at, and I met a man who is planting churches in India, a guy named Jiva, amazing guy. And um, they're planting in the villages outside of a major city. So the city has quite a few churches. There's the, the villages count like against the 1040 window. Like there's no gospel proclamation in there. And, um, and I said, man, what, what are some of your ministry challenges you're facing right now? And we were talking and, and he had two things. He said, people are flaky. And I was like, dude, I know what you're talking about. I've, I've seen this in church before. I've heard of this, or at least I've heard of other churches that struggle with this. Um, I know what you're talking about, man. And he said, my other big challenge probably is it's kind of annoying, but we we, every once in a while when we're preaching, we'll see tigers, you know? And, um, <laughs> And he's like, and the guys are like so afraid, you know, like they're just like, we see them every day. We see them a few times a year. And so it's hard to get them pumped up to go preach to the village because there's like, there might be a tiger. And he was like, so annoyed. Um, I was like, what do you do if you see a tiger? He's like, if you're in a group, you scatter and they just kind of stand still. He's like, if you're by yourself, you just pray, you don't die and stand still. But... But it was so funny because it was this guy who's clearly different culture, different context, different problems, but at the same time, same Jesus, same gospel, same people. We're connected. I'm closer to this man than my own sister who does not know Jesus. And so um, we are part of a global big, I don't know if you know this, you're connected to more people than you realize. You have a bigger family than you realize. Um, my um, my uh, aunt, Audrey, passed away. Uh, she lived her whole life uh, in Massachusetts and Boston. And I went out to do the funeral because I'm like the pastor in the family. And my dad is the youngest in a family of 11 kids, okay? Irish Catholic family. My, my mamma and my pepe had a ferocious love life, and uh, it led to 11 babies. Um, and uh, and what, what happens when your dad's the youngest of 11 kids is, is they have ki- he has aunts and uncles older than him. No, sorry, younger, younger than him. Yeah, younger than him. Yeah, yeah, nieces and nephews. Who, nieces and nephews. Who are, exactly. It gets crazy is what I'm trying to say. It's like, who are you? And I was at this wake, and I was like, man, I have more family than I ever knew I had. I have more cousins. I have more second cousins. I, have, I don't even know how to explain, like, what exactly are you? Something removed. Um, but, but, but there is family. And you have family restored to Mecula. You have family in San Diego. You have family in South Africa. You have family in LA. You have family in India. You have family in Ireland. You have family all over the world. And today I want to talk about is, is what does it look like? I, I think that in the last, I don't know, 30 years, the American church has realized um, you can't just go to a service. Uh, you know, you look at Acts 2, um, that, that, that people lived in community together, that we go, it's not good for people to live life by themselves in isolation. Um, we need people when we're walking through suffering. We need people to mourn with us. When we're walking through triumph and, and, and celebration, we want people to rejoice with us. We need people to hold us accountable, to encourage us to be all that God longs for us to be. We need that. But the other thing you see in the book of Acts is that there are no isolated churches. There's isolated, there's no isolated believers. They're connected to a local body, but there's no isolated local bodies. They're connected to a bigger global story, which is really amazing. And so what I want to do today is just look at a couple of passages that describe this and then ask you to jump in with us, uh, to continue to jump in with us, okay? So uh, to do that, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And, um, and if you are a Bible person and you turn there and you realize what I'm about to read, you may wonder, why are we going to read through this? 
It's the final greetings of the letter. It's the, uh, the part of the letter with a bunch of names. And typically when we get to this point in our Bibles, um, we often see this as kind of like the credits at the end of a Netflix show, right? Right. I'm going to, I'm going to, right. I'm going to skip to the next, next episode, First Thessalonians, right? I'm getting out of here. Um, this is unnecessary. And now typically the only people who watch the credits at the end of a movie are people who either are in the production industry themselves or like, I want to see my name or they have a friend who's in that industry. There is a guy at Restored LA who was Brad Pitt's, he's a member of Restored LA, he was Brad Pitt's stunt double in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm not, I've never seen the movie, probably isn't great morally. Um, It's Quentin Tarantino, I don't know guys. My whole point is Brad saw the movie and then went, oh my gosh, I gotta find my buddy and see if it's really him because it just is too good of a story. And it was him, he's in the movie, he's Brad Pitt's stunt double. Um, and, uh, and so he's checking those out. Normally, though, we don't have a lot of interest in the credits, right? And you can kind of view um, the end of um, the letters that way. But actually, when we read the names that Paul writes and we read what he writes about them, I actually think we see something of how the early church did ministry, how the apostle Paul did ministry, what the relationships amongst believers was like at the, in the, at the beginning of the early church. So don't tune this out and go, man, it's credits. It's shout outs at the end of a, a long Oscar speech that needs to be cut off. It's just names. They are names, but they were names that meant something to Paul and meant something to the churches. And so as we move through today's message, I have three points. Um, they're these. Um, why a family of churches? So the big idea we're talking about today, family of churches. Number two, what do we receive from a family of churches? And then what do we give to a family of churches? All right, so number one, why a family of churches? And to answer that question, I just want to read through Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4 verse 7 says, Tychius, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. And so Paul points out these two guys. He says, I'm sending them to you. They're going to pray for you. They're going to encourage you. They're going to fill you in on my ministry. They're going to encourage you in your ministry. And what I want you to see is that the church in Colossae, it's a modern day Turkey, um, it was its own thing. It was a local church. It was one church in one city, okay? It's its own thing. But it was connected, right? Because they know Paul, who's in prison, and they know Onesimus, who's coming. And, uh, and so there's, there's, there's three different places at the same time where people are interacting with one another in the gospel. Um, and the reason this is so important is, I just want you to see, is a lot of times we can think local church. It's just, we think church, we think an event at one place. I go to church, it's a service, it's in one place. We have services, they're in one place at a time, but that doesn't mean they're not connected to one another. In America, it's really sad. And in the West, oftentimes churches are competing against one another like bad businesses. Instead of partnering together as a family to fight the fight of the gospel. I don't know if you guys have grandparents. Uh, I guess they'd probably be great-grandparents or pretty deep, um, but kind of the greatest generation people. If you've ever heard them tell stories about World War II, when people collectively were rationing things and were collectively, like, sacrificing for a greater good that was bigger than themselves, the whole country, I can't even fathom it now. They're like, what, what's the party of the president who said we should do this? That determines if we're going to do it. 
It's not what's the right thing and we're going to band together to do that. The church should be that way, though. We've got this great mission of advancing the gospel into the beachheads of the nations. And we should be partnering together. We need comrades. We need allies. We, we don't have time to, to fight over market share. There's billions of people who have never heard the name of Jesus. And so there's this gospel work going here, there, and everywhere. And then Colossians 4, uh, 10, 11, let's just see some more names. It says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, the guy that traveled with Paul in the book of Acts, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So um, Mark is with Paul, but he's also going to end up in Colossae later. There's a very good chance. And Onesimus is going there. So again, there's this interconnectedness. The story isn't how big is our service on Sunday? How cool is our kids' ministry? It's, it, they're a part of a, a bigger thing together beyond their four walls. Verse 11, um, it says, so it says, Aristarchus and Mark, and so does Jesus, who is called Justus. These alone of the circumcised are my coworkers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Um, I think it is so funny that there's a guy named Jesus in the early church. <laughs> right? Can you imagine just the, the constant letdowns this guy walked around with? Shows up, shows up to gospel community. Jesus is here. Everyone does what you would do. You know, you can have people standing up, people standing at attention, people face down in worship. And then, you know, ah, it's just Justus. We wasted the good worship on you. Uh, I think he started going by Justus because it just was too, yeah, it was just, just a bummer. Uh, men of the circumcision is just Jewish believers who are helping um, Paul advance the gospel to the Gentiles, non-Jewish people who weren't circumcised at that time. Um, uh, Colossians 4.12 is the big one I want to get into. 4.12, it says this. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you for those in Laodicea, and for those in Heropolis. Now, Epaphras is a key guy. Most scholars think Epaphras planted the church in Colossae that Paul is writing to. Uh, He certainly sounds like a pastor the way Paul describes what he's up to. He's praying for them all the time. He's working hard to help them grow up to be mature disciples. This sounds like Tom or Herrick to me, Um, but he is a key guy. Um, A lot of people think that he sat under the apostle Paul's teaching, that he was discipled and developed as a leader, maybe in Ephesus. We had the school of Tyrannius. Then he was raised up and sent out to start a new work in a new place. Now, I know it's the dream of the leadership team of this church that men and women would come to know Jesus in newer and deeper ways. And spoiler alert, be restored to God. But that they, they, they want these men and women then to, 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 to come in to meet Jesus, but then to, be, to, to, be, to, to experience Jesus in such a way that they receive a calling from Jesus and they're sent out by Jesus as witnesses of Jesus wherever they're called to go, whether that's Temecula Valley or to somewhere else. And this is what happens with Epaphras. And this is what we still do. It's kind of interesting. Um, Epaphras' hometown, he says he is one of you. Epaphras' hometown is Colossae. And so he goes back to his hometown to establish a new gospel work. And this has actually been our church planning strategy. It wasn't intentional. We could call ourselves like the Epaphras Project. Um, but, but every single church plant, we've, we've been somewhere and we sent them back to their hometown. Tom and Brad go to San Diego and then they go back to the different valleys. Um, uh, Danny went back to South Bay. I went to San Diego. Um, with the exception of the couple we sent to Northern Africa, um, we've sent everyone back to their hometown. And even the couple that's in Northern Africa, they're discipling people to go back to their villages and towns that they can't go to themselves. 
They're not allowed in by the government. So they're, tra- they're meeting them in the city and then hopefully hoping to see them go back to their hometowns. Um, I, I remember, and, and it's just cool because you meet Jesus and if you've actually met him, he makes you a new person, not a perfect person, but a new person. A changed person. I remember um, I had been a Christian for about five years, and I was a pastoral intern at a college ministry in San Diego. And I've been out of high school for about seven years. And I saw a girl named Laura who I went to high school with. And me and Laura did not have a great relationship. Uh, I had a really rough, just a bunch of different interactions with her and her friends in high school that were not good. And she saw me walking around the foyer. It's kind of like she'd be out, outside here with the coffee is. Uh, and she just saw me walking around, and she said, Andy Rogers. You're the last person I would expect to see in church. And then I got up and preached for 45 minutes after that. <laughs> she didn't know I was the least. She just thought I was there. She's like, this is insane. Who are you trying to fool? Um, but when she heard me preach and I went up there, she didn't hear hypocrisy. I'm this amazing guy. She heard I was a terrible guy. And naturally, I still want to be a terrible guy. But I met this guy named Jesus. And the old Andy Rogers that many of you don't know, but some of you even in the room knew, he died with Jesus on the cross. He was nailed to the cross with Jesus, Romans 6 says. So there's a new person now. And so really the, the, the beauty of this church planning strategy, you send people back to their hometowns where people go, I thought I knew who you were. I obviously don't know who you are anymore, but I want to know who you know now. Who is this person you have met? And so Epaphras goes from, from Ephesus, this nice-sized city, to Colossae, a very small town. Um, in terms of the cities where the churches existed that Paul um, you know, cared for as an apostle, kind of this apostolic sphere idea, um, the churches he wrote New Testament epistles to, the, the churches he wrote letters to, Colossae is hands down the least impressive. Thessalonica was a major city. Rome, major city. Corinth, major city. Philippi, big enough of a city. Ephesus, major city. Colossae, not so much. It was a small, random town. Um, uh, it was, it's, it's definitely the least important in terms of being a place of worldly influence. Um, Colossae wasn't Rome or Corinth. Colossae wasn't LA, New York, London, Tokyo. Colossae was Barstow. Okay. <laughs> if you're offended, I'm sorry. Barstow is a place you go through to get to another place. I don't know how else to say it. El Centro, whatever you want it to be. That's what Colossae was. So there's this small, seemingly insignificant place that Epaphras is from, but Epaphras goes back to where he is from. And I want you to think about where you're from. What town, what place, what state, for some of you, what nation. What I want to say is that there's no such thing as an insignificant place because there's no such thing as an insignificant person. Where people are are people Jesus died for. That makes the place significant in the eyes of heaven. So often people want to move to places of significance. Every time I hear someone who's like, man, I got to move out of San Diego, it's like San Francisco, New York, LA, or internationally. It's very rarely like, dude, I got to get to Las Cruces, New Mexico. (laughs) I, I coach church planners and all the time, man, they always start with LA, Chicago, New York, Europe, Buenos Aires. It's never just like, you know, Temecula. I don't know. It's never a suburb. It's always like, it's never a suburb or, or a, a poorly um, served community. It's always somewhere kind of cool and interesting. And, um, but what's the most cool and interesting thing in the world is seeing people meet Jesus. I promise. Um, this idea reminds me of a woman named um, Cindy. 
And here's what I want to say. Some of you guys may be called to stay in this valley. Some of you guys may be called to leave. Some of you guys, the last thing you want to do is leave this valley. And some of you guys, the last thing you want to do is stay in this valley. And God might call you to either of those. But trust him. Obey him. Step into it. Um, There's a woman I know named Cindy. She was one of my best friend's moms. She had a rough life. She was a wild child, uh, kind of wild 70s uh, background drug scene. And um, my senior year of high school, she got like wonderfully saved. And she met Jesus, and she fell in love with a man, and that man um, was, was Mexican, and he was an immigrant who was in America illegally. Uh, he had lived in San Diego for 15 years. His name was Fito. Um, he had met Jesus about six months prior to meeting my friend's mom, and they had fallen in love. Uh, they had gotten married. Um, and after he, he got married, uh, about nine months after he got married, and after he had met Jesus, he felt God tell him. Because um, what he would do is, is often he would have interactions with police officers. And he, he'd been in America for 15 years, uh, spoke really good English, didn't have like a, like a classic Mexican accent. And when he was really working at uh, it, he could sound just like he, you know, just a random American dude or whatever without an accent. And, um, and he memorized a friend of his social security number, his address, and he was go, oh, I don't have my ID on me, man, but my name's Tyler, you know, have a check, and I've got a house, you know, in whatever, El Centro, and um, Barstow. <laughs> um, and he felt as if God told him, um, hey, the next time you get pulled over or talked to, um, I want you to stop lying and tell the truth and just say who you are and where you're from. And, um, and so sure enough, uh, a few weeks later, he gets pulled over, He's been married to his wife for less than a year. It's this beautiful story of, of two people who met Jesus having a beautiful second marriage, um, doing things the right way, all that stuff. And um, a year into their marriage, uh, not, he goes to jail for a few years, and then he's deported to Mexico. Uh, my buddy's mom, Cindy, she's half Mexican, but she's lived her entire life in America. English is her first language. She lives in San Diego, L.A. Um, but what she does is she ends up going with him to start a church in TJ. Uh, so what they do is, is they steward what looks like suffering or inconvenience and they go to, and there's a lot of people that have been deported to Tijuana and they started a church where people had been deported and their families and, uh, got an orphanage started, uh, last I heard about a year ago, they were starting a church in Rosarito, which is a beach community down there. So what, what looks like an unfortunate thing where you're sent to a place you don't want to go, God goes, I have hundreds of people who are going to meet Jesus through you and your story. Don't be afraid. Are you willing to go to places God calls you to go, even if they're insignificant or they're not cool or, or whatever? I'll keep reading Colossians 4.13, like Epaphras. That's what I'm trying to say. For I testify, oh, sorry, verse 14, Luke, the guy that wrote Luke and Acts, the dearly loved physician and Demas send you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in our home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of Laodicea and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. You had to like trouble, trouble getting through to Archippus and kind of a rough shout out. Um, verse, uh, it says, I, Paul, last verse 18, I am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And so we see there's so much more connection to the Colossian church. They know who Archippus is. They know who Onesimus is. They know about the church in Laodicea. Like, say what's up to the church in Laodicea. Give them that letter from uptown. There's, there's kind of that. These churches are working together. There's a family connection going on outside of the context that Paul is in and outside of the context the Colossian church is in. And again, sadly, so many Christians in America today couldn't write a letter like this because they don't have any friends who are a part of communities in other places. They don't really view them as allies or partners. Maybe they have friends who are Christians in other places, but that isn't what brought them together. 
But do you have friends that, that you're only connected to because of the gospel that you're laboring in together? That you're, you're advancing the kingdom of God together. The call of the church, you know, you know, so many people think, when they think church, they think two things. In our culture, they think boring and fake. Fake, happy, clappy, smiley people who don't talk about what's really going on in their life. And bored people who are like, God, I'm so bored. I'm t- I just, they just think reading, talking to a person they can't see, and just kind of like, man, it just seems kind of boring. But actually, the church is called to intimacy with one another and an adventure into the world. You should not think uh, boring and fake. If you are, you need to change how you're approaching church or find a different church. It should not be boring and fake. The gospel is not boring or fake. We're called to intimacy with one another an adventure. And so this is why we need a family of churches. We need people to partner with. We need, we need allies in different places and spaces that allow us to enter into spaces we couldn't get into on our own. But they also couldn't do what they need to do without our support. There's this partnership together in the gospel. And so the partnership in the gospel is both a giving and receiving. Again, if you use the family analogy, um, what do you call someone who's in a family who just receives and doesn't do anything? A baby, hopefully, right? A baby. If it's your 16-year-old, you got to talk to him, okay? Got to work on that thing, okay? Right? Or um, a baby, uh, an abusive spouse, abusive husband maybe, just makes everyone serve him, kind of walks around, people walking on eggshells, or abusive mom or wife, right? In a healthy set of relationships, there is giving and receiving. Uh, it's, 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 we're not called to independence, but we're not called to codependence. There's an interdependence where we're serving one another. There's times you're going to need help. There's times we're going to need help. There's times you're going to need financial help. There's times we're going to need. There's times you're going to need service. There's times we're going to need service. There's times you're going to need your house fixed. Does that make sense? You can see that that whole piece. Um, so what do we receive from a family of churches? Um, we receive a couple of things. Okay, the first one is we we, re- we receive clarity. We receive clarity. Um, pretty much every New Testament church Paul writes to has things he affirms them for and things he rebukes them for. If you if you read it through. Jesus in the book of Revelation, he's like, this, I, this is what I love about you. This is what I have against you. Churches are like people. There's no perfect people. So there are no perfect churches because they're made up of imperfect people. And, uh, and here's the thing. You can, you can miss those. Have you guys ever heard of the idea of blind spots? Something that everyone else sees, but you don't see. Uh, and again, uh, Paul writes to the Philippian church and he, he thanks them for their generosity. He says, no one has supported my work as an apostolic leader like you guys have. You guys have backed me financially. But then he goes, you're awful at doing conflict. You're so proud and hurting each other. Philippians 2, it talks about the humility of Jesus. It's really inspiring. Um, But it's not really written just as a theology book. He's writing it because he goes, look how humble Jesus is. If he's humble, you should be humble towards one another. It was the conflict and immaturity that caused him to do that. Um, Tom and Ebony used to be our next-door neighbors. They were right behind us. We were in the, the front house on this lot in, in San Diego and uptown. And um, we had a broken-down Pontiac Sunfire at the edge of our driveway for three years. It broke down. I, I often, I'm just, and, and we lived in a very walkable neighborhood. We had one car that ran great. Engine just died on that yesterday, which is exciting. Um, but, uh, but, but we had one car that ran great at the time. And um, so I remember my landlord's like, hey, man, when are you going to move that car in the driveway? And I was like, what car? It had been there three years. <laughs> Literally, I turned it on once. Dust came out and there was like spiders. Like it was, it was, ter- I'm not, it was terrifying. Uh, and um, and uh, <laughs> anyways, um, 
you can, my point is this, is you can see something every day and get used to it and think it's fine or normal or not out of place. And an outsider would come in and go, why do you guys do that? What's up with that? It could be a logistical thing, but more importantly, usually it's a spiritual reality. I had noticed your people are really great at, at sharing their, 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 they're vulnerable with one another, but they don't actually challenge one another to, to deal with their sin and to, to, to take steps of obedience. Or man, you guys are really challenging, but there's like no grace. What's up with that? Or man, you guys are really good at, um, at like preaching. You've got great, you know, teaching, but you're like, you guys aren't generous, like, like the family, whatever. Does that make sense? You can see these, these things in um, people's lives. Um, we receive clarity. So people can come in. We also receive equipping, receive equipping. This kind of goes with clarity, but it's a little bit different. Um, in, in, in a lot of American churches in the West, um, there tends to be usually one leader who is the leader. Uh, so you don't usually have a good set of elders. And a lot of times, again, even those elders, they're often just uh, a group of guys who are just like the lead guy. He's like, I like you because you're like me because, you, you know, we love me some me. Uh, and uh, not even in a nefarious, evil way, just like, oh, you see gifts that are like yours. You're like, oh, yeah, they'd be great. They'd be great as a leader. Why? Kind of remind me of me, I guess, <laughs> right? They've got character and also they have similar gifts. And so what can happen is, is you end up with churches where all the leaders have the same gift, and so you have churches that are really good at one thing, but they're not good at another thing. Now, if you look at me, I think it's obvious I work out all the time. You probably think, do you have your own CrossFit gym, Andy? Um, F45 on the side. You probably do a lot, man. And, uh, and that's a gym in San Diego. I don't know if you guys have that here because that could sounded really weird. But uh, F45, it's like the new CrossFit. I don't know. Uh, right? But I don't know if you've ever seen someone uh, at the gym who was like really, like, they were like really buff, but they had like never did leg day or whatever. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, it's like, dude, whoa, he's like going to fall over, right? Um, so we get that man some weights for his legs, not to work out, just to hold him down. Um, he's going to leave, uh, right? Or see the person who's just like, man, they, they can run and run and run, and they, could, they can hardly pick up a French fry to eat at the end of a job, right? They're like real good cardio, not, right? So, so again, this can happen in the church where, where a church is really good at one thing, but that's it. And God calls us to be a healthy body, a holistic body. Um, uh, so some churches tend to be really good at evangelism, terrible theology. Like, get saved. Now we have nothing to tell you. <laughs> but we can't say that, so just keep bringing people to get saved. And hopefully you'll just be so psyched about that, you won't think to, to read your Bible. Um, or they're good with theology, right? Half this, I was at a church one time where the guy literally preached from a Greek manuscript, Show off. We get it. No one was getting saved, like ever. Remember, when I was in one of those churches one time. It was like hyper theological, but like no sense of God's mission. And they were really into baptizing babies, which is fine. It's it's a it's it's a theological distinctive. I just said, dude, um, you seem really excited about. It. He's like, dude, if we didn't baptize babies, no one would get baptized. And I was like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. <laughs> Now, I mean, they had a theological conviction. It is, I'm not trying to hate on that. But just, you'd see how it was just all one focus, you know. Or, or um, really good at caring for each other, loving each other, um, might not believe in the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? Or like really into the Holy Spirit, real weird also, right? <laughs> right, just re- always supernatural, always, oh, God is, you know, it's always a voice. It's always, you know, it's not just supernatural. It's always weird, and it's kind of a subculture thing. And, and, uh, and it's fine. You want these moments with God, but, but then they're like selfish or mean or no teaching or whatever. And, we, we, and, and here's the thing. We shouldn't have to pick. I said, I remember I met with a guy, a megachurch pastor in Orange County, and I said, um, here's what I want our church to be about. 
I want us to be all about the gospel of Jesus. I want to have, us, to have a depth of scripture that gets to the gospels, the whole storyline of scripture. And we, under, we see all, oh man, just deep theology, deep Christology. And I said, I also want a church that loves each other radically like family, like almost like a house church, like thug life family in each other's lives. We're going to be there no matter what. I said, I also want to be a church where people listen to the Holy Spirit. They expect him to heal people if they pray. And they pray for people to come to know Jesus and they go out. So, so, so they listen to the Holy Spirit and they have encounters with God. And then they're not weird. They're normal when they talk to non-Christians. Because Paul said, um, don't have everyone speak in tongues at church at the same time because people will walk in and think you're out of your mind, which they still do. But people do it. But I want people to have a genuine encounter with, with God and then go, I want to tell someone about this. And then I said, I want to be a church that plants churches. And he said, you got to pick one of those. No tribe does all five of those. And then I realized, no, no, we're called to, I don't want to be a church that picks between passionate worship and deep teaching, that picks between reaching people with the gospel or having a supernatural relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you read this book, they're doing all of that stuff. Jesus did all of that stuff. So in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 13, Paul says this, from the screen says, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints. So these leadership gifts exist for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Their only value is that you guys could do this stuff. You're not listening to an amazing teacher if after you listen to it, you're like, I could never do that. I could never explain the Bible to anyone, right? There's, that's a show off. That's not necessarily a helpful teacher. Helpful teacher takes a complex idea it makes it simple for you to understand. So Jesus did all the time telling stories. Bad teachers take a simple idea and make it really complex with a lot of words you don't understand. So you go, wow. Um, a, a, a good, uh, it's great to be a great evangelist, but, but a good evangelist makes you feel like you could share your faith with anyone and not like, oh, I got to bring them to, you come to my church, this guy will share the gospel with you. And so, 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 so it says, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. And so there's the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelist, the shepherding, the teaching. We want all of those gifts. And family of churches have more um, gifts because there's more churches. And they can share those gifts with one another. We started our, our new website, restoretogether.org. I don't know if you guys saw that. Um, but we're going to have different people um, adding to the blog who have different gifts. That, uh, adding videos that have different gifts. They're going to be coming into different people's churches to add their gifts. Brad Sarian at Restored LA, he's an insane teacher. He convinced our church to do a Bible reading challenge where we're reading the whole Bible in 100 days, and I've almost died. <laughs> but you know what? 90% of our church has read like the entire Bible. It shocked me. And, and, he, and he helped put together an amazing series on biblical theology. You guys know Tom Logue, uh, Thomas Donovan, Tommy Don, as I call him. Uh, this man, like legitimately hears from God in a way that's really helpful, that blesses people. He's not perfect, but he, but he can. And, and the, the thing I love about Tom even more than him hearing is he teaches other people to hear. I was at Restored LA uh, uh, about a year ago, and, um, and so many people are coming up sharing. I was like, where did they get like this prophetic culture? He's like, dude, Tom did that training. He's like some acronym, dude. I don't even know what it is, but it's like set the church free to prophesy. I was in South Africa getting ready to go on a, um, a missions trip to Northern Africa, and there was a guy there named Exo, uh, the Zulu guy, and he prophesied over us. And, he, and I was like, man, you have a real prophetic gift. And he said, I didn't really know, you know, but we, I know we did that training. And, I was like, and then Grant's like, dude, it was the training Tom did. Hold this out of the world, praying for God to open doors in the Arab world through him using his gift. And so there's these different gifts. Um, 
Ashley Stroman, she oversees pastoral care at Uptown, but she wants to equip the broader family of churches. She's a psychologist, but she believes deeply in the gospel's ability to change people. And she's working on doing some really cool stuff um, in terms of integration and helping people come to wholeness in Christ, not just know about Jesus, but be transformed by him. Does that make sense? You put those things together and the training and the resourcing, then we can be a strong, holistic church. We don't need to be the, the buff guy with no legs or the, the cardio, cardio freak you can't, you know, whatever. Um, I don't work out. All right, so, so you want to receive <laughs> equipping and clarity. I walk. I, I generally, you know, I'm keeping myself going, but, but nothing crazy. Um, receive support, okay? Receive support. Um, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, I didn't give you guys this verse, which I'm pretty bummed out about now. Um, can, can someone read it for me? Uh, someone have a, my phone doesn't have service. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. It's the last big chunk, huh? Oh, there it is. Oh my God, you guys, it's like magic. Uh, All right, it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either fails, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. There are times as churches where we need help. We need support. Well, uh, Restored South Bay, about three years ago, um, Danny Kimlott, who's the lead pastor there, his wife Monique, her brother died, and he was in his 20s, very unexpectedly, and it was just awful. And their uh, church planning situation, they've planned a church less than a little over a year, um, his brother-in-law dies unexpectedly, and then his son ended up uh, getting burned in an accident within a month. It was in the, they were in the hospital on Thanksgiving. Um, it was a terrible scene, and they, had a, they just had so much they'd been working on. This is all public, as I also get into. And we were just talking, I said, man, you guys need like a significant break to slow down and be able to look at yourselves and get healthy and take a few months. Um, you kind of needed it before all this stuff, but absolutely now with everything swirling. And so I asked Tom, I said, hey, man, would you be willing to step in and lead this church as an interim pastor for a little over two months so you get their feet back on the ground? And you know what? He was supposed to start fundraising to plant this church and making that the big thing because he knew he was going to transition. And he took a step back from that and trusted God to oversee a church that was growing. It was about 150, 170 people. It was growing and it was hurting. And Tom and Eb had to step in to help lead that community in a time of need. We had, and then we raised money for it. And we had prayed for them, and we had to fill in preaching slots. We had to do so many different things to, to make it work, but I was so glad to do it that when times get rough, that we can count on one another. Um, you, as you guys know, you guys, by the way, I want to affirm you guys, uh, Anthem Denver uh, Church Plant, um, they, they found out that they lost around 2000 a month in funding, and um, we needed to raise about $24,000, what we were shooting for. And we ended up raising 60 grand because you guys raised what they needed all by yourself as a baby new church. You're the newest church. It's amazing. So, so that's what support's all about. And, support, and I think we know this. Or we, we know when we see a person who needs support and they can't ask for it, and, and we do our best to, to, to offer it. And in churches, it's the same way. There's times where we go, hey, man, we'd love to help you guys. Can we help? We're not going to force ourselves on you. Churches are have their own... You know, a local church, there isn't like a, some crazy hierarchy or something. Local churches, like these guys lead this church and stuff like that, but we want to partner alongside them and encourage them and go, hey, can we help? And the last thing you receive is brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, I'll read this real quick. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 23 to 24. 
It says, peace to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all who have undying love from our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, again, you, you, as you start to meet people, you start to realize, man, we have this thing in common that, that, that brings me closer together than even my own blood family. I meet mean, these amazing people. By the way, if your blood family are followers of Jesus, that's awesome. You have the best of both worlds. Um, but, but, but there's these people that you're connected to. You don't know them, but you love them. It's crazy. When you went to South Africa, we had the family of churches retreat thing. And some of you guys went, I think Jenna was there, Tom was there. And it was amazing to see the, the campfire time, all these people that never met each other from five different churches. And, you would, and the grant said, you wouldn't know who's from what church unless you heard their accents. Like, this is amazing. And that happens. I, I was uh, at an event recently and I, and I met a woman and, um, and it reminded me of like my, my aunt's funeral because I met this gal and I found out that she had just gotten saved, that she was from a Muslim family. She's in one of our churches and she's going through a really tough time, but she's taking a stand for Jesus and it's really costing her with her family. But you know, it's crazy. She didn't tell me about that or complain about that. She thanked me for helping start a family of churches where she could meet Jesus. I met this sister I didn't know I had. And so on and on and on. So, so those are the things um, that we receive. Now, again, as kids, we like that stuff, right? Receive, receive, receive. You guys are the newer church. You can receive more. Um, but a day will come. We're going to become the, the, the big, uh, big brother, big sister situation. So there's a couple of things we want to give. And I'll go through these quickly. Um, but, I, but I think these are really, really biblical. Like, I don't even, like, there's so many passages. We can't get into all of them. Um, what do we give in a family of churches? What do we contribute? And there's three things. I'll call them the three Ps. Prayer, people, provisions. The first one's prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul, while he is in prison, says this. Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth. Pause. He's in prison. If someone said, hey, you're in prison unjustly, what can we pray for? My number one request is that I would get out. (laughs) He never asks for it. It's not wrong to pray for that. We know in Acts, they pray for Peter to get out. He gets out, but he just, he's like, dude, I'm stewarding my suffering. I'm stewarding my situation. Like my friend that got deported in the same way, I'm stewarding my situation. While I'm here, I might as well start a church in this prison. Might as well preach the gospel. Pray for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Also, Paul's asking for boldness. At our store at Uptown today, there's a gal preaching and she's, she's looking at the account where Paul is stoned, not drugs, like with rocks, left for dead. And the next day he's like, I'm gonna go preach the gospel in the next city. But he goes, pray that I would have boldness. Like he actually leaned into people to pray for him, to strengthen him, that the power to go do this thing is not him. It's God at work in his life. And so if Paul needs prayer, we need prayer. You need prayer. Churches need prayer. Situations need prayer. We sent that couple to Northern Africa, um, Kai and Kyle. And uh, one of the big concerns about a year ago was um, Kai would get really insane migraines about three days in bed a week when she was doing the internship with us. And I was like, man, I don't know how this is going to work out when you hit the mission field. And she'd have some weeks that were better than others. And, um, and it was about twice a week for about a day and a half. It would just set her out, man. And if you've dealt with migraines, you know, this, it's so painful. It is beyond uncomfortable and it's beyond inconvenient for trying to live your day-to-day life. 
And so she had asked for prayer for, for months and for months and for months. She was on migraine medicines. She was doing all this stuff. And then um, literally, as we, we kept praying and praying and praying. And then she, she went to an event right before they left, and she, they asked for prayer again. And someone came up and said, I think there's someone here who has migraines, and I think God wants to heal them so that they can advance the gospel in their life, whatever that means. It's a pretty big gathering. She's, she's also very skeptical. She's like the apologetics, read a million books. She's not the like fire tunnel, speaking in tongues chick, okay? Like to be really clear. She's a phenomenal teacher. She's an intellectual. Um, but she's like, this is pretty specific. If I don't go get prayer, it's a little out of hand. Um, do I even believe this stuff to be a missionary? If like, you know, and uh, she's prayed for sure enough, guys, she hasn't had a migraine in nine months. And it's crazy because you would have thought, well, it's because they changed climates, but they were in California for another month and a half visiting the other churches and going around. Do you guys see that? That changes. I was just there decorating their Christmas tree with them as they're speaking to so many people in Arabic. And they have friends. Went to a jazz, uh, jazz bar where, where Kyle's befriended musicians because he's a jazz pianist, and they love him. And one of the guys recently, I, I can't even get into it, but um, um, there's stuff happening. People opening up to meet Jesus, but people praying faithfully for this practical need that opened a door matters. Prayer matters. Um, I could tell so many other stories on prayer. Um, we give people. This one's the worst, in my opinion. We give people. Ephesians chapter 6, 21 to 22. I remember, um, well, I'll just read this first. It says, um, Tychius, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me so you may be informed, similar to what he did in Colossians, verse 22. I'm sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. I remember when Ebony and Tom lived next door to us. Um, I stopped by their house to like drop something off for Jackie, and Ebony was there. Tom wasn't there, but I just remember saying this to Ebony. I don't know if she remembers this. I I said, Ebony, I, we're not close enough, and you guys live right next door. And we're going to have a day where we're going to really miss each other, like this dynamic. Like, we're going to miss it. And so, man, we got to make more of this while we have. I don't know if you remember that conversation. And, and it happened. It freaking happened twice. Okay. Sorry I said freaking. I'm just passionate. I'm hurt because they, they left both times. I started uh, Restored Uptown with, with two dudes that I walk alongside with, Brad and Tom. Both those guys lead other churches now. Um, uh, Tom was replaced by another worship leader. Um, Brad was replaced by Herrick. Um, <laughs> and then Herrick uh, left. Um, and, and so there's just... <laughs> A lot of living. I sent I, I sent Brad and Nicole uh, to start Restored LA together. I mean, just at the same time. I mean, man, giving people is intense, and giving people looks different. Okay, there's a short term version. Um, you know, like like me being with you guys for a few days, or what Tom and the team does when they go to South Africa or Ireland, um, or when Grant Clark comes out from South Africa. Um, there's medium term, like when Tom and Ebony helped go to start Restored South Bay for about a year and a half. Start Restored Uptown for about two years, um, or Nicole and Paul going up to start Restored LA. Uh, for about a year and a half, and they came back to the promised land, San Diego, land flowing with IPAs and carne asada. And um, or it could look long-term, like Kai and Kyle moving to Northern Africa. They're planning on dying there, basically, is their plan. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. Um, but when we, here's what I want to say, is when we say restored starting a church in a new area, I want you to go, am I supposed to go? With remote working the way it is right now, I don't want to act like I'm a prophet because I'm not. But I think I can see in the tea leaves on this thing with remote working, the ability for God's people to scatter at the drop of a hat 
with the same job and get a new church plant off the ground, a new business to support a church plant, whatever it is. Does that make sense? Hey, I run the Alpha at this church, and I work remotely, and they're going to go start a new church in, I don't know, Boston. And you know what? I'd love to start an Alpha in Boston. I can actually move there. I don't even have to change my job. You can actually think that way. Also, though, take that. There's also some of us that just need to move because God calls us even when it's not that way, even for a season. Last thing I'll say about this. Sorry, five more minutes. Is that cool? Last thing is um, we found over the years planting churches, the most important role isn't the church planner. It's the team around the church planner, setting an example, laying a foundation, creating a culture. Because we like preaching is helpful, and it needs to be lived out. You need to be an example. It's an eldership qualification. But like you need people can live it out with you, can live out radical hospitality, can live out praying, can live out applying the gospel, can live out making much of Jesus, loving people who feel unlovable, generously giving to things in the community. So, so, so again, if maybe when we plant, maybe some of you guys would, would go, not to be to lead the team, but to be an invaluable part of that team. The last things we give provision um, this is, is money. It's always the weird one to talk about, but it is what it is. It's in the Bible, so I'm just going to read it and then move on quickly uh, like an awkward turtle. First uh, Corinthians 16, 1 to 4, it says this. Get your popcorn ready, you guys. First Corinthians 16. You guys have it or no? It's okay if you don't. I can. All right. Paul, um, okay. Uh, Paul says to set money aside. Uh, you can look it up. First Corinthians 16, one through four. Um, to set money aside that's going to be collected later to be taken for a church that's suffering in Jerusalem, the, the poor church. So there's times where we want to help um, churches that are struggling. Though whether it's a church plant in America that has big needs. Um, on Easter Sunday, I don't know if you guys know about this, but in Sri Lanka, um, there were terrorist attacks. And um, one of the, two of the people that died um, were a part of a church that's connected to an apostolic leader that we are connected to. And so, um, so uh, Restored Uptown, we raised $7,000 um, to cover. A, a lady lost her, her husband and her oldest son, and he ran out to keep more people from coming in. He's a legit martyr. And we get to provide for their families. They figure out the next few years as, as to what's going to happen. That's a privilege to do that, to care for um, those families. And I, I saw this guy in Dubai um, that, that leads in that context. And he was so grateful um, for what we're, we're doing for them. You guys stepping out in faith for, for Josh and for Kai and Kyle, even the year before that. Um, again, we've raised, well, our family of churches raised over about half a million dollars that we give away not to our local church, to start a new church or a new gospel work. A lot of churches can't raise the money they need for a building that they're going to sit in themselves. Giving money away so that names and faces you don't even know and have never seen can meet Jesus. That's beautiful. But you know what's crazy? People did that for this church. They didn't know you sitting in your seat. They didn't know your face, your name, but the father did, and he calls his kids to go out and to, to draw them back in. And so that's what this thing's all about. Um, I'm going to hand over to Tom, but, but I just want to say, you guys, you're part of a big family that is doing big things. And so I would encourage you guys to, to ask God how we'd call you to get involved into the future, um, personally and as Restored Semiculous. Let's see.